All right, uh, well, if you've been us, with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we are preaching a series this summer called The Psalms That Shape Us. We invited members of our congregation to submit their favorite psalms and then to be paired with another homilist. So Weber is my co-homilist this morning for Psalm 81. But before we get started, I'm going to pray for us, all of us. Lord God, we agree and proclaim with Isaiah, Isaiah 55 that your word is not void. It always produces the things in us that it is meant to produce. Lord, open our hearts to what you have to say to us. And I pray for Weber. I pray you would bless the fruit and make fruitful his preparations. And I pray that you would bless him, calm his heart, and speak through us. Amen. When Katie and I began to discuss this song uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I came up with this threefold, you're normally supposed to come up with a three-point outline for something like this. And in my three-part outline, I came up with the theme Restart, remember, refresh. That just came to my mind when, I was, when Katie and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. And I did launch out uh, for the past couple of weeks. It's been kind of a journey, a spiritual journey in a way, to explore this psalm and to see what I could do with this threefold uh, point concept with a psalm text. And honestly, the way I ended up in this three-point journey was something quite different from what I thought I was going to do um, going into it. But it's been an adventure, and I hope you will, um, I hope you will enjoy going on that adventure with me for, uh, uh, for a moment here. Restart. Well, this psalm opens with um, this invitation to God, from God. Blow the trumpet at the new moon on the full moon of our festal day, for it is a suitable, uh, it is a statute for Israel. An ordinance of, God, of the God of Jacob, he made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, and on the full moon of our festal day is a pretty clear reference to what would happen every year uh, when the, um, uh, the Hebrew cycle of autumn feasts began once more. Blow the trumpet at the new moon was basically a way of saying uh, on that first, um, the first day of that first month of the Hebrew calendar, blow the trumpet at the new moon, uh, Rosh Hashanah, Hebrew for head of the year. Uh, another Hebrew name for that day is Yom Teruah, which means the day of blowing. And it's Blood of the New Moon is a reference to that. And on the full moon of our festival day is, is, I think it's something like the Day of Atonement. But that begins a cycle where they uh, begin at Rosh Hashanah, the New Year. They have a 10-day period of self-examination and repentance, the 10 days of awe. And then um, following that is Yom Kippur, the day of the covering in Hebrew for uh, atonement. Holy day of the year, the Jews are expected 
to deny themselves and the priests going in to make atonement for the people in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And then there was about five days after that, the Feast of Tabernacles. So everything in this Psalm, the imagery is uh, relating to that uh, marvelous cycle of autumnal feasts with which, with which the Jews uh, in, in this time began their spiritual journey with God once again in the new year. So how did, but as I was thinking about this, how does this restart concept apply to me? And I was thinking of some examples, and the most vivid example that came to mind was my experience of Christmas Day of 2021. Um, I am a lifelong single person, although I do have a wonderful biological family uh, in Central Florida, my brother Chris and uh, his wife and my two, uh, uh, my, my niece and my nephew. They are wonderful people. Uh, but it's a bit of a challenge for us to get together uh, for various reasons on a regular basis. Uh, so I have come to rely um, very much on this wonderful incarnation community, you know, usually on occasions like Thanksgiving and Christmas, I usually find a family to be with. On this particular Christmas, however, uh, despite my best efforts and for some, for various reasons, nothing specific, but I just ended up with basically no plan. I went to the Christmas Eve service, but on Christmas Day, I basically spent the day by myself in my condo. And I had told God on the run-up to this, oh, it's fine, you know, whatever you have for me on Christmas Day. It's just fine with me. I thought I meant that prayer. As it turns out, when I got up on Christmas morning in 2021, I did not mean a word of that. I lied, basically. I basically lied to the Holy Spirit. But he knew that. He knew me better than I knew myself. He knew I was going to react that way. Well, I'm sorry to tell you I did. I had this terrible attitude all day. I was just fuming. I was mad at God, basically. But I was too proud to go to him and confess and say, I'm mad at you, God. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a mature Christian, quote, unquote. Has been walking with the Lord for 53 years, quote, unquote. <laughs> but, yeah. That was what I was doing on Christmas Day, and I, I was a mess, and I was screwing it up, and I knew it, but I couldn't stop. I, I needed the Holy Spirit to hit my restart button at that point. Well, boy, did he ever. So this went on in a very depressing fashion for some hours, all day on Christmas Day, by myself in my condo. But late that night, I got a phone call, incoming phone call, from a number I did not recognize. So my first thought was irritation. I thought some stupid telemarketer is calling me again. You know, oh, timeshare in Jamaica, no thank you. Um, that was my first thought. I thought I picked up the phone. I said, hello? <laughs> it wasn't a telemarketer. It was my good friend, Steve. Steve and I met probably about 45 years ago. And um, for about 30 years during that period, we had been part of a, an informal network of, of Christian men who used to go down uh, to the Gospel Mission in mm -hmm. Chinatown, a homeless shelter for men that was run by Christians. 
and uh, we would take, and the men who had stayed in the shelter at the time had compulsory chapel attendance that in the evening uh, as a condition for their staying there. So we were helping in our lay volunteer capacity to support that. So I went down with Steve quite frequently uh, during that 30-year period. I had also played in the wedding of Steve and his wife about 25 years, uh, about 25 years ago. And I had met his uh, two sons when they were, when they were still boys. And uh, from time to time, Steve would take his boys with him uh, when we would meet at the gospel mission. And one of the boys would play the piano. One would read the scriptures, perhaps. But I had not heard from Steve in about 10 years until that night when he was calling me. And I was rather surprised to see that he was calling me. But it was because, basically, these two boys of his were now young men. They were still living at home with their parents. They were still, at least officially, attending school. And they were still financially dependent upon their parents. But unfortunately, these sons were now, all, these young men, were now also in destructive addiction patterns. One was addicted to alcohol. The other was addicted to marijuana. They were basically using their parents as an ATM machine for funding their uh, self-centered, destructive, addictive way of life. That's what Steve was calling me about on Christmas night. And he concluded this tragic tale by saying, this is the most miserable Christmas ever. Up until that point, I was convinced that I had been having the most miserable Christmas ever. But my crisis was self-generated. Through my own bad choices, I brought my misery upon myself. Steve's misery was quite different. Uh, he was experiencing the devastating effects of family members who were caught up in this addictive cycle. And it was, it was threatening to sweep away everything, the marriage, the family. Uh, and that's what Steve was calling me about. He was at the end of his rope. He was desperate for somebody to talk to. And immediately, I knew, I knew, I had to forget about myself. It didn't matter anymore how I was feeling about Christmas Day. I had to concentrate on Steve. I had to listen to him. I had to pray with him. He prayed with me. We talked about, you know, what kind of support he might be getting for this problem from his church community, what additional sources of support he might need. He and his wife were, uh, were meeting the challenge of this devastating situation. We talked for two hours, <laughs> about two hours. When I got off that call, It's like the, the whole situation had flipped upside down. And it, it, it was as if Jesus himself were just sitting there and saying, so Weber, <laughs> what did we learn from this experience just now? And I think he said it, I think he was saying, he wasn't saying it to be reproachful. He, I think he was saying it with a kind of a smile on his face. What did we learn from this experience just now? <laughs> I said, oh, God. I said, oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. 
I am so sorry. Yes, I, I completely misinterpreted what was going on. Yes, you did leave me alone for Christmas this year. You did not answer my prayer like I thought you should, and I was mad about it. But what I did not see at the time was you were making me available. You wanted me to be alone and available in a quiet place to receive that incoming call. You knew that call was coming in. I did not. And then when that call came in, I knew I had to do something different. You know, I'm part of the prayer ministry in this church. Oh, it's time to put on the prayer ministry hat. Forget about what you feel. You know, that, 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 that's not important anymore. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that. Like, you really hit my restart button on Christmas Day of 2021. I really appreciated when I was talking to Weber that he drew our attention to the fact that the Feast of Tabernacles is probably the context for this psalm. It was this joyous time of remembering how God had rescued the people of Israel from slavery and protected and sustained them in the wilderness despite their complaining spirits. Here's how the message translation introduces the celebration. It says, a song to our strong God, a shout to the God of Jacob, anthems from the choir, music from the band, sweet sounds from lute and harp, trumpets and trombones and horns. It's a festival day, a feast to God. The people would come together to worship, led by a choir, and apparently trombones too, Grant, I guess. And for seven days, they'd live in these temporary huts that they built just for this festival. And the songs and the readings and the gatherings would all invite the people to decide again whether they would listen to God and follow in his ways. And we continue the same practice in the church. Our cycle of feasts, All Saints, Christmas, Epiphany, Easter, Ascension Day, Trinity Sunday, they all offer their own variations on the theme of returning to God. They invite us, as Weber reminded us, to hear again God's appeal that, oh, my people, please listen to me. And so matter what the state of our lives and our hearts, the invitation every time we gather, whether it's on a feast day or in these Sunday gatherings or in our homes, the invitation is always the same. It's a time to return to the steadfast and the sure love of God. Isaiah 55, 7, which is our reading today, says it this way, we should return to our God because he will show us mercy and to our God, for he will freely forgive us. Weber accepted that invitation on Christmas Day 2021. He allowed God to jar him out of his loneliness and his anger through his invitation to console a friend who is also feeling alone and adrift. And in consoling somebody else, he was consoled. Thanks be to God for the ways he meets us, even when we are lukewarm, filled with doubt, and not even completely sure we want to return to him. I'm so grateful that God can fan even the smallest flicker of faith into a flame of desire for him. Yes. Okay, thank you, Katie. Um, and okay, for the second point of this three-point outline, it's called Remember. And um, this section of the psalm, verses 6 through 10, uh, goes, it opens like this. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. 
Your hands were freed from the basket, and distress called, and I rescued you. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. The writer of this psalm is identified as Asaph. He was the chief musician of the tabernacle and the temple during the reigns of King David and King Solomon. And as we had alluded to earlier, um, this probably was written uh, not only for the, uh, the cycle of autumn feasts, but it was probably written, uh, the evidence suggests, for the dedication of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, which occurred in about 957 before the Common Era. But even on that occasion, which was it was this joyful, celebratory, triumphant occasion. God still introduced a very solemn call to the Israelites to look back and remember when they were slaves in Egypt, when they were, when they were basically being oppressed by Pharaoh, they were, being, they were reeling under those hammer blows of enslavement and abuse under their taskmasters. He was getting them to hearken back to that. He was calling them to remember. When I look back on that Christmas of 2021, um, yes, when I got up that morning, I had, I had, like the Israelites during many periods in their Old Testament history, I basically had developed a spiritual memory impairment. I. It's like the memories were still there. They were still filed away in my brain someplace. But I was no longer consciously aware of them. It's like, it, it was almost as if they had been deleted. They hadn't been, but I wasn't paying attention. And so this call to remember is extremely important. And if, one of the things I could have remembered when I got up that morning is, that I had my very own little Christmas miracle, I call it, uh, nine years before, Christmas Eve of 2012. It was a similar scenario. I was gonna be alone for Christmas Day, but on Christmas of that year, I went to the Christmas Eve service in Restoration Anglican Church. I sat next to the family of uh, Mitch and Susie and their, their boys, Evan and Carson, and Mitch's mother, Beatrice, and um, they turned to me we were making small talk uh, sometime during or after the service. Mitch turns to me and says, Hey, Weber, what are you doing after this service uh, this evening? I said, Nothing in particular, really. He said, Well, how would you like to come home with uh, me and Susie? And we have a uh, Christmas Eve dinner planned. We have an extra place at our table. We've got lots of food and everything. Would you like to come and uh, celebrate it with us? <laughs> My first impulse was, Yes, yes, yes. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Stephen, Mitch, and Susie, you know. I was, I was, you know, I was really, you know, well, I didn't do that, of course, that was too extreme. And I didn't want the, I didn't want to mention Susie, I didn't want to mention Susie to start worrying about what I would do when I was let into their house. But, um, but it was amazing. It was just absolutely amazing. Magical, my own little, version of the, It's a Wonderful Life, you mm. know, where the Jimmy Stewart character is about to jump off the bridge and this angel, Harold or Ernest or Fred or something, I don't forget what his name was. You know, that kind, of, it was my little version of that. Yeah, I had 
forgotten that, that, that blanked out of my head uh, with my attitude that I woke up with on 2021. Well, of course, I did realize it later. But I'd like to, I'd like to end this section by um, referring to this verse. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of up, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. When I read this, I thought, that sounds a lot like something God had said before. Well, in Exodus chapter 20, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and he was receiving the Ten Commandments from God. Uh, the first commandment says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of, up out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And I read this and I said, oh, okay. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What's going on here? He's basically saying the same thing. He's disclosing himself to his people as I am the Lord your God. But here he's changed the ending. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I thought about that. I said, why is that different? I think I know a possible answer to that. I think what God is basically saying here to us is, if you will commit your life on a daily basis to remember this principle that I am the Lord your God, and that you shall have no other gods before me. If you will commit to that and take that seriously, then even if he knows we're human, he knows we're not going to keep that commandment perfectly. But I think what he's saying here is, if you take it seriously, if this is the abiding desire of your heart, if you want to live, if you have the desire to live as though it were true, I am the Lord your God, you shall know other gods before me. And what God is promising here is open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I will provide for you in everything. You might notice this theme running through our scriptures this morning. It's a theme of returning to God and finding that he's already got a provision for us. He's already got exactly what we need. And this is I think probably the best way to conclude this part, that this remembering section of our message this morning, remembering that if we uh, are living by that principle and consistently trying to keep it, even though we may not keep it perfectly, God promises, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. So I love that what Weber is talking about is that even with the best of intentions, we're easily distracted and forgetful. One minute we can be praising God together, and then the second we step out of this door by the coffee table, we're grumbling against God or our neighbors, <laughs> and we're unwilling to see the gifts that he's poured out on us, even the fact that our hearts are beating this morning, the fact that we arrived here safely. We're just unable to see it. And when we mine our memories, we often excavate the, long, the wrong conclusions about how God was present and active in our circumstances. The church's practice of remembering is different than the way that the world remembers. Because the way that we remember is always rooted in God's loving character. Remembering God means that we sift all of our thoughts and our experiences 
through the sieve of God's steadfast love, as it's recorded in scripture, but also in the lives of the church throughout the generations. And when we experience doubt, the invitation is to consider what filter we're using to evaluate our experiences. For the way we see the world, is control, our vision controls our perception of the world. So what lens we use controls the way we see the world around us. And so if we believe that our world and our experiences are bleak and full of evil, and certainly the world is bleak and full of evil, but if that, if that is all you see, then that is what you will believe about the world. But if you believe that God created and sustains you and loves all things that he's made then that's what you will see. And I would submit that if you see the world through the lens of God's love, then you will begin to see signs of his goodness and his rescue absolutely everywhere. And so remembering with the church, with rem remembering with each other, allows us to rest in the assurance of our collective memory of God's provision. And so we humbly say, I know that your thoughts are not my thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so are your ways higher than my ways, and your thoughts higher than my thoughts. Yes, okay. Here is the third and final point of our message. And it goes by this bullet, uh, refresh. Uh, we restart, remember, refresh. Well, okay, this is verses 11 through 16. It's the final section of this psalm. My people would not listen. They would not submit. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel, oh, that they would listen to me, and that Israel would walk in my ways. Then I would quickly subdue their enemies, but I would feed them with the finest wheat and satisfy them with honey from the rock. Um, when I was first tackling this psalm and thinking about this message, I thought in the beginning when I was reading it, just kind of reading it over in a superficial way, I thought, oh, this is a pretty depressing psalm. It seems to add on a rather wistful note. Uh, you know, it's like God is just hanging there waiting for his people and his people are not responding. I thought, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> but... As I kept looking at it, rereading it, reading commentaries, praying about it, wrestling with the Holy Spirit about what this meant, Holy, the Holy Spirit peeled back the layers of meaning and context and he enabled me to see the connections between what God is saying here and what he's saying in other parts of Scripture. And I started getting very excited and said, wow, yes. So, if you don't mind, I'm going to read just a little piece that I think expresses this idea of refresh. Uh, uh, I'm not going to yeah, I'm going to say a little more after this, but I, I just want to, I just want to put in words what I think this passage is essentially saying uh, from God's heart. Come back, my beloved people, and refresh yourselves again with my loving presence and my abundant provision 
for your every need. Yes, I rebuked you for your stubborn ways, and I judged your disobedience by giving you over to following your uncorrupted counsels. But I only meant to correct you and never to reject you. My covenant with you still stands. My arms are still open wide to receive you, and my table is still spread for the feast of abundance in expectation of your sin return. You will never be right again until you are with me again, and my heart will not be satisfied until I have you back in my, in my embrace safe and sound. So don't be afraid. Don't hang back in the shadows. Step across my threshold. Enter my house once more and partake of the feast that I have already waiting for you. This is God's invitation to come. My beloved son, my beloved daughter, come back and refresh yourselves at my table. Um, when I was looking at this psalm too, and especially this final passage, there seemed to be two very beautiful foreshadowings of what Jesus the Son would come about a thousand years later and uh, do in his earthly ministry in Jerusalem. I think if we read this psalm text and get the sense of God's heart and what he is saying here, uh, although the image of God weeping over Jerusalem is not specifically mentioned in this text, I think if we're really reading it with discernment, we can clearly see that God is, is weeping over Jerusalem here in the time of King Solomon. That it seems to be a prefiguring of the time uh, a thousand years later when Jesus would stand on the brow of a hill in front of Jerusalem and weep over his beloved Jerusalem and say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that stones the prophets, persecutes those who have sent her, that, that those whom God has sent to her. I long to gather your children together, but you were not willing. So here is this lament. This, it's a divine lament over Jerusalem. But as with all the biblical laments, even though there's deep mourning and deep sorrow expressed in this lament, in all of the biblical laments, laments, it never ends on a note of despair. There's this theme running through it, this really deep theme of joy, the assurance of, that love will triumph in the end, even though it has to go through this, these rivers of deep sorrow. And that's one thing I picked up there. But then there's another, the, the image in the final verse, it's like, then I would quickly subdue their enemies, but I would feed them with the finest wheat and satisfy them with honey from the rock. There is that welcoming father. He wants to feed us. He wants to nourish us. That's his heart for us. He wants to care for us. But he's not going to make us robots. He's not going to make us come and partake of the feast. We still have to make that choice. But he is longing for us to make that choice so he can come and do what he has always longed to do, provide for us. And I think, you know, we have the, that wonderful parable, parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son in, Luke, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. And some of us know that parable about the prodigal son who had gone off to a far country, wasted his father's inheritance, just squandered the whole thing. And then he's coming to his senses, he's coming back to the father. And the father comes out to meet him 
and you know he's just wild with joy over the return of his son and he kills the fatted calf and he prepares that feast we we are not specifically told what kind of scriptures Jesus might have might have had in mind when he told that parable of the prodigal son but here I would submit is a foreshadowing of that New Testament parable in this Old Testament imagery God God's table is still spread for us. He's waiting for us to come to this marvelous feast of his provision for us. And so I think probably that's probably one of the best ways we could end this psalm is to say, yes, it is a, it is a call. It is calling the people back to repentance. It's calling the people of Israel specifically in their context to remember their, their feasts, the the, the beginning of a new year, the day of atonement, the day uh, and the day of the feast of rejoicing at the Feast of Tabernacles when God provided all of these things for them in the wilderness. He supernaturally provided the manna and the water from the rock. And God is saying this once again to us. He is inviting us to come and uh, partake of the feast that awaits us. So I'd like to thank Haiti so much uh, yes, she was absolutely right. You know, God's, the way that we are to see the world is through the lens of looking at God's character. That's really what is the most powerful point of this psalm. It is an invitation to us uh, to come back to God and partake of the feast, but also to remember again who he is, what his character of abiding love is for us. So I'd like to thank you so very much for allowing me to co-present this homily with Katie this morning. Thank you, Incarnation. And I'm just going to close with a poem. <laughs> so this is a poem from Jan Richardson. Some of you might know her. And this is a poem that she wrote called Beloved is Where We Begin. If you would enter into the wilderness, do not begin without a blessing. Do not leave without hearing who you are Beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you. Do not go without letting it echo in your ears, and if you find it is hard to let it into your heart, do not despair, for this is what the journey is for. I cannot promise this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger or thirst, from the scorching of sun or the fall of the night, but I can tell you that on this path there will be help. I can tell you that on this path there will be rest. I can tell you that you will know the strange graces that come to our aid only on a road such as this, that fly to meet us bearing comfort and strength, that come alongside us for no other cause than to lean themselves towards our ear and with their curious insistence whisper our name. Beloved, Beloved, beloved. Thanks be to God. Amen.